My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So this morning, in 30, 34 years of uh, being a pastor, I don't think I've ever done what I'm about to do this morning. And that is that I'm going to divide what started out to be one message into three parts. Uh, so we're not going to finish this message today. It's just going to be my second part, and we'll have a third part next week. And uh, the reason for that is, uh, is I just need to, I need to share some other things with you as, as, as we continue, and there's just too much material. And uh, so um, I, anyway, so we're going to divide this message into three parts. If you were here last week, or if you weren't here last week, let me tell you about last week. We, uh, we called this message, Teaching Our Children Well. I've changed the title. Uh, the message is going to be called, uh, Parenting Our Children Well. I thought that was a, a much better title, a much more appropriate title for what I've been sharing. So I'm, I'm calling this Parenting Our Children Well. And uh, I need to acknowledge... As we continue this morning, I need to acknowledge some of the feedback that I got back last week. I want to address it. One person shared with me that they had a hard time listening last week because their parents, their parent or parents weren't like I was describing. And they even had said that they felt like even walking out. And they said, Jimmy, I think I saw somebody else walk out. And, and so I think I'm not alone in the way I was feeling uh, last week. At least a couple of people also told me that uh, they felt like they didn't do parenting right when they were in the thick of it, and they said they felt like failures. I, uh, I heard from someone that my message may have made people, I've heard this twice during the course of the series, that might have made people f- with families that are not the ideal that I've been talking about, or families who have problems that somehow, that maybe they're feeling, you know, not good enough, or Uh, They're feeling like they can't fully prepare their families or their children because they don't have the ideal that I've been presenting. And maybe families have been left feeling somewhat hopeless. So I want to begin this morning, and I want to clearly say a few things. that, That my goal in this family series has not at all been to make us feel like failures, or to leave you hopeless. That has not been my intention at all. And it is true that some of our parents dropped the ball. Some of our parents weren't good parents at all. Somebody told me last week, and somebody else told me this. They said, you know, my parents weren't like you were describing, but it motivated me and to, be, to, to be different. I was determined to be different because of how my parents were. Sometimes it wasn't our parents that dropped the ball. Sometimes it was us that dropped the ball. Maybe you're sitting here and you're finished with the the childhood parenting thing and, and you're thinking, man, it wasn't my mom and dad that messed up. It was me that messed up. I made a mess of things. I want to say something that Michael Lane said just a minute ago. I want to repeat it. I want to repeat it over and over and over again. And that is that we're a bunch of broken people, everyone. We are a bunch of broken people. And, um, And way more often than not, we're going to end up failing at some point. We're going to make a mess of things. And uh, lots of times we're going to make a mess of things that we can't fix, that we can't go back and change. Water under the bridge, spilt milk, you know, all those idioms that we have, right? They're actually true. Sometimes you can't fix the messes that we've made in the past. 
Last week, I challenged us as parents to fix our marriages. Remember that? I said, before you dissolve your marriage, fix it. And then I said to you, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can fix your marriage. And, and that is true, but it takes two to fix a marriage. And I can't fix my spouse. I can hardly fix myself. And after that, I want to confess, it's really hard to fix myself. And um, so sometimes as much as it depends on you, you can't fix your marriage. I totally get that. If your, fa- if your family doesn't look like the ideal that I've been communicating to you, I have not tried and I don't want to communicate to you. I want you to hear me clearly. I don't want to communicate to anybody. And some of you are saying, hey, Jimmy, you didn't communicate that to me. That's fine. But evidently I did to some. I want, I want the spirit of God to communicate to us. That I, if your family is less than ideal, it does not mean that you're subpar. And neither does it mean, listen, neither does it mean that God can, is somehow hampered in his working in your children's life if your family is less than the ideal that God puts, puts forth in his word. I honestly believe just the opposite. I believe that God is big enough. I believe he's gracious enough. I, I believe that he can work through all of our, our brokenness and he can produce something that we couldn't even begin to imagine. You know, the, the, the broken structures of our family are not an inhibition to God. Now, I think God gave us an ideal family to strive for, which in case you missed the message, it was a mom and a dad who love and raise their children for a lifetime. I think that's the ideal. And, but if your family has broken down because we're all broken, listen, it just goes to show you that we need a savior, that we need a rescuer, that we need someone who can help us in the midst of our brokenness. And by the way, guys, we have that. We have a God that, who's so, who loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, that, that son would come to take dwelling in your life and he would help you and he would be there for you to, to help you grow and help you become like him. He clearly forgives us when he comes to us, but he does more than forgive us, everyone. He empowers us. He changes us. He gives us his spirit. And his spirit is in us. And he's with us. He's never going to leave us. And he's going to enable us. And and he's going to help us where we drop the ball. And here's one more thing. He can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. You say, well, what in the world does that mean, Jimmy? That's, that's an idiom. It's a Jewish idiom, I guess, or an, or an American idiom. I don't know, but here's what it means. In the Old Testament, God talks about how he's going to send swarming locusts in to eat and devour everything that the Jews had. It was, a, it was a discipline from him. It was to get their hearts to turn back to him. Hey, by the way, everybody's been watching the news, right? You know what year this is? This is the year that the locusts come out and eat up all of the East Coast, right? That's what they've been saying, right? That the cicadas are coming this year and they're going to devour all things green. Well, you can imagine if God's behind them, I mean, they really can devour all things green. And then God says to the Jews, he says, way back in the Old Testament, he says, but I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to forgive and remedy, and I'm going to get, you know, that discipline when it's over, I'm going to restore those years. And here's what I want to say to you. Even if you made a mess of it as a parent, God can restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God can restore the things that you messed up on. And not only that, here's one more thing. It's not, he doesn't, ju- parenting is not just you. Some of you may disagree with me, but you're wrong on this, all right? You're absolutely wrong on this, Okay. He's given us each other to raise our children. 
Now, now, parents, listen, I'm not trying to absolve you or say that you don't have primary responsibility, but in Psalm 78, we learn that God gave the task of training our children to love Jesus, to love God, to follow him. He gave it to the community. Now, you can go back and read Psalm 78 through your individualistic Western eyes, but you'd be wrong. God was speaking to the community, and he says, hey, listen, it is your task as the community of God. It's our task as the family of God to raise our children, our children, to love and to follow God. I think the African proverb is spot on. You know the one that Hillary Clinton introduced us to when she said it takes a village to raise a child? I mean, I don't know about her application. I can't even remember what her application was. I think it was that the government ought to raise our children, right? She's absolutely wrong with that. But, but she's not wrong when she quotes that proverb. It takes a village. It takes a community to raise children. And I thank God that when my children were coming along, for my sons, I had Dick Lane and, and David Coggin and, and Ray and, and Dickie. And I'm leaving people out and I shouldn't have done that. But, but some of those guys, they, they coached my children and they were involved in my children's life. And my children spent a lot of their free time over at their house. And those dads and those moms with my daughters, they were pouring into my children. And it wasn't just me. I mean, I had godly men influencing my children. So again, I want to say to you, if, if your family has broken down and you've got some brokenness in your family, do not despair because you got me. You got, you know what I'm saying there? And you got Rich and you got Kent and you got Earl and you got Micah and you got Nathan. We've got each other. And so, hey, listen, ladies, if you're a single mom, you've got dads that can help represent the spirit of God, represent God to your sons and daughters. And men, if you're a single dad, you've got women that can help your daughters experience the female side of God, right? Because God is male and female. And so those women can pour into your children. And so you are not alone. And my goal is never, it never, ever, ever is to shame us or to make any of you feel like a failure because you have failed. My goal is to challenge us to God's best, to God's design, and to urge you to lean into it, and to urge you to stretch for it. And that's my goal. And you know, if it happens, if it so happens that, hey, failure shows up when we, put, when we point out God's, God's ideal, when it, when it, if it's there, be encouraged. Be repentant if you need to be repentant. Change if you need to change. Um, but do not let the enemy condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And you know, when we failed, there's no condemnation. I mean, God the Spirit convicts us, but he never condemns us. He convicts us to change. He convicts us to, to repent, but he, he doesn't condemn us and tell us we're not worth anything or that we're such a failure. I mean, there's a lot of dads out there that have failed by telling their sons and daughters, oh, you're a failure. You'll never amount to anything. And remember loving their children and affirming them. They've been anything but that and they failed. God is not like that. God might be convicting you to change, but he's never condemning you. He's never saying you're not worth anything. I don't love you. You failed. And so therefore, hey, get out of my sight. That's not how God treats us. Now, last week, yeah, hallelujah. Thank God. Last week, I reiterated the blessing that children are. They are a gift from God. You remember this? If you were here last week, I said they're a blessing from God. Obviously, millions in the, in the humanity of, of our world now, they don't believe that. And the reason I say that is because we kill 40 to 50 million children in the womb before they come into the world every year. 
around the world. That's 125,000 children that we're killing in the womb before we even let them come into the world. Obviously, people don't believe that children are a blessing, but you do. You do. If you follow Jesus, you do, because I tell you, I tell you this, it's in your heart. If, if, you, if you want to kill your child in the womb, it's because you are suppressing an innate truth that you know in your heart is true, that that little one in your womb has worth. And, uh, and again, listen, listen, if you've had an abortion, this is not to condemn you. This is not to condemn you. God doesn't condemn you. God wants you to repent and re recognize the wrong. He wants you to turn to him, but what, what he desires is for you to return and acknowledge that wrong. But, but here's my point. My point is children are a blessing, but the world doesn't believe that. But you do because you follow Jesus. And you know it instinctively, and you're not suppressing that truth, but you also know it because it's revealed to us in the word of God. Children are a blessing from the Lord. I said last week that the goal of parenting is that we raise children to love and to follow Jesus. And I acknowledge that there are lots of good goals along the way. Remember that? Remember one of the goals that J.R. Williams said that he was going to teach his children not to touch the dog in the wrong place, right? We all have goals. We all have goals. And of course, they're a lot more meaningful than that, right? We talked about that last week. But I said the overarching goal for us, as those of us who follow Jesus, it is that our children would follow Jesus. That means to love him with all their hearts, with all their soul, with all their mind and all their strength, and to love other people above material possessions and any other important pursuit. They would love children. They would love other people more than that. But listen to what I'm going to say now. And again, I'm not, I'm not condemning us. I'm not trying to shame us. I just want you to get it. That's our goal, right? But we're not accomplishing that. Within the body of Christ, two-thirds of our children will fall away into adulthood. Two-thirds of them statistically will fall away. Of the third that remains, only 10% of them will call themselves resilient or, or, or in, this, in this survey, they would call resilient disciples. I, I call them consequential disciples. I'm talking about only 10% of them will, will follow Jesus in such a way that they are committed to living their lives for Jesus. They're trying to say, God, should I, should I give 51% of my income, you know, to, to the causes of Christ? They're going to be the folks that are committed to community, to the church, to making disciples of their children, to making disciples of others. And, and I'm grateful in our church for those who are resilient disciples and those who are young people who are consequential disciples. But my point that I want you to see is that we're not succeeding because two-thirds of our children become adults and they're falling away from the church. Now, I'm not talking about people out. I'm talking about our kids. I'm talking, about the, I'm talking about Bacon's Castle's kids specifically. I'm talking about kids of the church. They're falling away. And the final part last week I said is there was three parts to this, this talk. One of them was that the children are a blessing, and then the, the goal of parenting, the blessing of parenting, the goal of parenting, and the third one was the means of parenting. And I told you they were, I was going to share with you two positive means and then, and then one that was not a, not a positive mean, but it was a, it was a caution. It was something to avoid. We're going to postpone that till next week. And uh, in the final part, uh, I said, or in this final part about the means to, to bring our kids to Jesus, I said, you need to love your children. Remember this? And I said, you love them in four ways. You're present in their lives. You're affirming with your words. Your attitude of your heart shows them that you love them. And you are finally affectionate with them. Those are the four things that I said. And I said that it leads them to Jesus because you represent God. And so when you love them, they're more able to see that God loves them. They're more able to experience the love of God when you love them. So now let's come to the second meme, mean by which you lead your children to Jesus. Here it is. 
And then, this is new material now, so y'all can listen up. So uh, it's, you train your children. You love your children, and you train your children. Here's an important verse. It's Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs are not absolutes, everyone. We've said this over and over again. They're truisms. They're, they're principles. They're, they're things. They're axioms that generally hold true. And uh, I, don't, I don't believe that God has determined who's going to succeed and who's not going to succeed. I don't believe he determines that. I believe he makes us autonomous creatures whose wills can either suppress the truth or respond to the truth. That being said, I believe this proverb says that, parents, you have a huge opportunity and responsibility to affect the will of your children. So again, here's the principle. If you train your children young, even when they're old, they won't depart from it. Now I've heard people say things like this. Here's what that means. Train your child well, and then when he leaves the faith and doesn't walk with Jesus for 25, 30 years, you be, you be confident of this. He's going to return in his old age. Folks, I, I hate to tell you, that's not what that proverb means at all. Here's what this proverb means. Train your child up right, and he will never depart from the truth, even when he's old. That's what the proverb means. Very, very vastly different from what I just said a minute ago. But yet I hear so many of us quoting it. Yeah, my kid's not following Jesus anymore, and he has nothing to do with God whatsoever. But, but he's coming back because there's a proverb that says even when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's saying something totally different. And that's why the vast majority of Christians... When do they begin to follow Jesus? When they're young. When they're young. When their hearts are pliable. Their hearts are moldable. So, when, you know, if we were to poll most Christians or, or, or the Christian community, we would find that most of them began to follow Jesus when they were young. And, and they didn't fall away. What do we do with the two-thirds that are falling away? I mean, some of them will come back. Again, again, these are principles, everyone. This is not absolutes. These are principles. So some of them will, will fall away and they will come back. But what do we do about that two-thirds? Is it we're not loving them? Is it that we're not training them? What do you think it is? I mean, I'm not asking for an answer. It's a rhetorical question. But, you know, I, I kind of think maybe it's true. Maybe we're not training them, loving them the way we ought to. And what we're finding is that they're falling away. Now, please, please, let me, let me hurry up to say something here. You can do everything right, love them and train them, everything right, and you can still raise a Judas. You can do everything right, and you can still raise a Hymenaeus and Alexander. If you don't know who they are, they're in the New Testament, two, two men that fell away from the faith, right? You, that can still happen. But here's a principle. Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. So how do we train our children? I want to give you three agencies of training uh, this morning. These are, uh, again, this is a topical message. This is Jimmy filtering the scripture through him. I, I don't go to a single verse and says, here are the three agencies of training your child. So there could be more. I, I don't think anyone would disagree with the three things I'm about to tell you, but there could be more. But here's the three that I want to give to you that I believe that if we would just inculcate these in our parenting, we'd have a, we, we would raise children who would never fall away. So here, here they are. The first one is life. The first agency of training your child is life. I mentioned this last week. I got premature. I shouldn't have mentioned it last week because it, it would have fit right here just perfectly. So I won't belabor this. Well, I sort of will belabor it. But anyway, you train your child with your life. 
You train your child by letting them see you. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Paul speaking, you should imitate me just as I imitate Jesus. And so parent, this is what you ought to look at your child in the eye and you ought to say to every one of your children, you imitate me as I imitate Jesus. You imitate me as I imitate Jesus because you see, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to model Jesus for you. So you, you look at me. Our children are trained more by who I am than anything else. They're trained more by, by my persona, by, by my person than they are by my words. They're going to be trained by watching you. Dickie said that this morning in our prayer time. He was talking about how that stuck out to him, about how, how they're going to learn from watching us. Girls. They're going to learn how to treat their husbands by watching you wives treat your husbands. And men, your sons are going to learn how to treat their wives by watching you and how you treat your wife. That's what they're going to learn. They're going to learn patience by watching you be patient. They're going to learn anger by watching you blow your top. Actually, I can't think of anything. You tell me if I'm wrong here. I can't think of anything that they won't learn, that they won't learn mostly, if that's a word, by watching you. I don't think I can't think of anything. According to staticbrain.com, listen, this is a great statistic. 26% of kids between the ages of 8 and 11 say they don't want to be like their parents at all. Yeah, say wow to that. I get it. But you know what that means? That means 74% of the, of, the, of the young folks ages 8 to 11 said they want to be like their mom and dad. Three out of every four said they want to be like their mom and dad. 73% of teenagers say that their relationship with their parents makes them the most happy. Parents, you have the greatest influence over your children, over anyone else. So your person is a huge influence in training. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to model for your kids. And here's what I want you to model. I want you to model loving love for your kids. I want you to model love. We talked about that a lot last week. I won't belabor that at all. But the, the love that we talked about last week, as you love them, you're modeling for them how to love others later, how to be affirming, how to have an attitude of caring, how to be affectionate. You're modeling all of that for your children. So model love. But here's another one, model faith. 2 Timothy 1.5, remember your genuine, Paul talking to Timothy, remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Model faith, everyone. If you want your kids to trust Jesus, then you trust Jesus and let them see you walk by faith and not by sight. Let them see you believe Jesus and act on what he says. And when they do, when they do, they're, they're going to learn something that they're not going to learn by you telling them to follow Jesus. They're going to learn more by watching you. I didn't have this in my notes, but Micah, after y'all's song, I wrote this down too. Model prayer. Model prayer. Remember I said a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, I said that prayer is our dependence on God. I, why? I left that out. I'm a failure as a preacher. <laughs> Model prayer because you're modeling dependence on God. So let your children see you praying because you do pray, because you are dependent on the Lord. Model the spirit-filled life. I'm kind of rushing. Model, model the spirit-filled life, Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Listen, if you're harsh with your children, you're not modeling the spirit-filled life. You're modeling just the opposite. 
Are you, are you a patient person? You need to say, Spirit, make me patient. Help me be patient. Help me learn kindness. Help me learn goodness. Help me learn self-control. You know why? Because my kids are watching me. And I want to model the Spirit-filled life. Don't model the opposite of the Spirit-filled life. Here it is. Here's what he says, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Adultery, pornography, sex before marriage, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. So, so don't model that for your kids. Model the spiritual life. Model, model in relationships with others. Model these three things. Would you model forgiveness? Don't be a grudge holder. Don't be somebody who just, you know, got wounded by somebody and, and you're just going to walk around all hurt forever. I mean, be like Jesus and forgive. I mean, let it go. In relationships, be humble. In relationships, be selfless. In your marriage, be this. In all your other relationships, model this for your kids. Because if you model it for them, that's what they're going to learn. And that's what they're going to be. But if you're just the opposite, I tell you, I don't care what your words say. They're going to be like you. You train, you train by modeling. You train by modeling. And what you train is the heart and their behavior by who you are. Um, ah. Running out of time, so I'm going to skip that. Here's the second thing. Instruction. Here, here's the agency of training, and it's instruction. I've tried hard to stay away from this word, but now I want to come at it full bore. We train with our words. We train with teaching. We train with instruction. Now listen, your words don't mean anything unless you're backing them up by modeling it with your life. I'm, tell, I'm telling you, you tell your kids something, don't do this, but you're doing it, your words mean absolutely nothing. Would you agree? Would you, would you all agree? This is not rhetorical. You say something to your kids and you're living the opposite of what you're saying, you're doing nothing. In fact, you're, 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 you're causing damage, as we'll talk about next week, all right? But, so your words are important. I mean, your, your, your modeling is, is imperative as a foundation, but your words are so important for training. Corey Ten Boone said, the best learning I had came from teaching. She was saying, hey, it's important to teach. And no lesson on teaching or instruction would be complete without Deuteronomy 6. Listen, you can just listen, you know, if you want to write it in your notes, it's Deuteronomy 6, begin, I'm going to begin with verse 4, listen. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Adults, he's saying to them, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart, parents. And then he says this, repeat them to your children. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. So here, here's what he says to the adults. He said, hey, do this. But then he says, repeat these words to your children. And you're to do it all the time. You're to do it when you're traveling you do when you're traveling. You're to do it when you're just sitting around the table or what, when you're just sitting. You're, you're to teach them then, he says. Teach them to love God with all your heart. Teach them these words. And he says, teach them when you tuck them in at night. Did you catch that? It's definitely there. When you lie down at night, you teach them, right? That's called tucking them in. And, and when you tuck them in, that's a great time to teach them. Read them a bedtime story, you know. Tell them about the love of God then. But then it says, when you wake up in the morning. So that's, that's family devotions. 
Proverbs 1, 8 through 9. This goes along with what Michael shared with us when he prayed for us and read scripture. My son, listen to your father's instruction. Don't turn away from your mother's teaching. What they teach you will be like a beautiful crown on your head. It'll be like a chain to decorate your neck. That's directed at you kids. And Michael did a good job of that. I don't want to do that. I want to say for your kids to listen to you, this implies that parents, you're teaching them. How can your kids listen to a mother's teaching? How can a kid listen to a father's instruction if you're never teaching them? If you're not stepping into that role, how will they ever learn if you're not teaching them? You've got to teach them. That's part of training your children. How did it ever become, how did it ever happen that I'm the teacher for your children? I'm not the teacher for your children. The children's worker is not the teacher for your children. Now, hey, back up a little bit if you've been listening. Hey, aren't we all supposed to raise our children? Absolutely. We're all in this together, working together. So, yeah, I do play a part. The children's worker does play a part. My brothers and sisters who take my kids into their house and love them and let them play with their kids, they have a part. But parents, it says, you are responsible to teach your children. Grandparents, it says, grandparents, you're to teach your children, your grandchildren. It's, it's our responsibility as parents and, teach, and grandparents to, to teach our children. It begins with us. What time have oh, Okay. So uh, what should you teach them? Teach them the past. Listen to Deuteronomy 4. This is, you know, God talking. This is Moses talking to the Jews. But I think it applies to us. Deuteronomy 4. Only be on your guard and, be dil- and diligently watch yourselves so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen so that you don't slip, they don't slip from your mind uh, as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. Here it is, granddaddies and grandmas. The day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb and the Lord said to me, assemble the people before me and I will let them hear my words so that they may hear, they they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and may instruct their children. So here's what Moses says. Teach your children the past. Teach your children the things that God has done in the past. And so parent, you should be teaching your children the things that God has done. You know, the Bible stories of the past, you should be teaching them that. You should be teaching them all the great wonders that God did throughout history that are recorded for us in his word. You should be teaching them that. You should teach them the future. I couldn't find a verse that says teach them the future, but but I know I'm right here. There's a lot of things I know I'm, I'm not sure I'm right on, but these are some things I'm sure I'm right on. Teach your children the promises of God for the future. Anyone disagree with that? Teach your children the promises of God for the future like he'll never leave you. And that he has plans for you. And that he's involved in your life. That he loves them and loves you. And he desires your heart to love him. You teach them these things of the future. Teach them the promises of the coming kingdom. Teach them of the resurrection to come. Teach them of how one day God's going to redeem this world and fix all our brokenness that we've so easily acknowledged this morning, that God's going to fix all our brokenness. And he's going to create a world in which we get to be a part forever and ever and ever, where he reigns over all of us as our king. Teach your children the coming future. Teach them the character of God. Teach them what God is like, that he, that he loves and he's good and he's kind. Teach them that he's holy and that he's pure. Teach them how much he loves them and how much he wants to exchange their sin for his righteousness so that they might know him. For, teach them who God is. Teach your children who God is. I mean, let me help you, but you be the teacher. 
You be the teacher. Teach them uh, teach them the attributes of God, big words. Teach them to know big words like the omniscience of God. You know what that is, don't you, parents? If you don't learn, the omniscience of God is that God knows everything. The omnipotence of God, the fact that God is all-powerful, that he sits in his heaven and does whatever he pleases. Or, or the, what was it, omniscience, om, omnipresence, is that what I'm forgetting? That God is everywhere. Teach your children these, teach your children theology because you're learning theology. And that brings me to the next thing. Teach them what you're learning. You know what that implies? You be a learner. I, I've loved to teach my, I've loved to, I've loved teaching my grown children things I'm learning. They're not all buying into it and they're not all even listening, but I, I love teaching that to them, right? I love teaching it to them. Teach your children the things that you are learning. So the first agency is your life. The first agency of training is your life. I, I think it has to be primal. The second one is instruction. And the third one is discipline. Remember last week I said to you, there is a better way than screaming at your children to get them to obey. Remember that? And I said, I'll tell you today. Well, here it is. It's called discipline. That's, that's how you get your children to obey without screaming at them and losing your mind. Now, when I say the word discipline, probably most of you are thinking punishment, but that's not, that's not what discipline is. Discipline is not punishment. It's not retributive. Discipline is training your children using momentary pain, whether you're a child or whether you're an adult, because God disciplines us and he brings pain into our lives to bring about change in our life, okay? But discipline is using momentary pain, not to punitively punish your children, but to train your children to a different end, to learn to obey. Now, in the book of Hebrews, the author talks about discipline. Here's what he says. Listen, this is chapter 12, for, if you're taking notes. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, so that he may, we may share in his holiness. Verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. Yet to those who have been trained by discipline, afterward it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's such a loaded verse, such an important verse. He's talking about God disciplining us, and he says, man, it's painful, and it's unpleasant, and it hurts. But when you come out on the other side of discipline, there is something good. There's something good. We're conformed to the image of Christ. We're trained in righteousness and holiness. And he says, in the same way that God does that with us, we're supposed to do that with our children. We're to train our children with discipline to be holy and godly and righteous by disciplining them. You say, wait, wait, wait a minute, Jimmy. Righteousness has to come from the heart. It doesn't come because you discipline them to that end. Oh, listen to what the Lord says. God deals with you as, with, this is from that same uh, uh, Hebrews passage. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. God expects you to discipline. If you're a father, if you're a mother, he expects you to discipline because that's what you do when you really love your chi child or your children. Listen carefully, if you don't discipline, you don't love your child. 
And I know some of you might be offended by that because you may have bought into Dr. Spock and all those other people that discipline's not a good thing. But I'm telling you, again, I'm not wrong here. You are wrong. Discipline is how you love your children. I know some of you are probably getting irritated with me. Proverbs 13, 24 says, The one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Did you, did you catch that? To not discipline your child is to hate your child. To love them is to discipline them diligently. Here's another verse. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. I think, Michael, you may have read this one. Don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Beloved, listen to me carefully. And again, I think I'm going to end up, I'm going to have a lot to say next week at the beginning too, won't I? <laughs> if you don't learn to discipline your child, you're going to create a child that no one wants to be around. You, you, you create a child with, with not disciplining them. You create a child that is selfish and unpleasant. Listen to the Proverbs again. Proverbs of axioms, there's always exceptions to this. This is not a, an absolutism. This is, this is a truism, a principle. But listen to what Proverbs says. Proverbs 22, 15. A, child heart, heart, a child's heart has a tendency to do wrong. But the rod of discipline, I'm going to insert the spanking spoon there, of discipline removes it far away from him. Did you hear that? A child's heart has a tendency to do wrong. But discipline removes it from their heart. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and rebuke bestow wisdom, but an undisciplined child brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your child and he will give you rest. He will bring you happiness. Let me read it again. Discipline your child and he will give you rest. And he will bring you happiness. She will bring you happiness. But, and listen, there's so many more. That's just a few. That's just a sampling. There's so many more. But here's one more thing that your discipline will do. Your discipline can save your child's life. Here's Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not hesitate to discipline a child. If you spank him, he will not die. Spank him yourself, and you will save his life from the grave. Here's what that means. That discipline corrects children so that as they become adults, they don't do things that ends up leading them to the grave prematurely. That's what that means. You'll save his life. There's so many scriptural admonitions. I don't really have time, and I imagine I'm going to offend some people by this because this is a controversial subject, but it shouldn't be controversial if you, if you agree that God has revealed himself and is in the Bible. If you agree with that, it's pretty, pretty clear. And I know that's where our church stands. We believe the word of God to be true. And the word of God teaches us that if you're going to train your children to love Jesus and know him, You've got to incorporate discipline. You've got to discipline your children. So let me show you how this plays out. And this is how, this is how it plays out in parenting over and over and over again. We tell our children to obey something. And uh, something that we want. Maybe it's something that God wants, but it's something we want. We want them to do something. And we say, um, Johnny, do we have any children named Johnny in our church? <laughs> That's a generic Johnny. It's not a Johnny in our church, all right? I, I didn't use LJ. So uh, Johnny... Johnny, uh, I want you to do this. And, uh, and Johnny doesn't obey. 
in like maybe five or 10 minutes, you know, Johnny, I told you to do this. And Johnny has, and this time your voice is a little bit louder and you're, you're, you're raising your voice and you're a little bit more, you're getting a little bit peeved, right? Not, not much, just a little bit, but you raise your voice. Johnny, I need you to do this. Another five or 10 minutes go by and Johnny doesn't do what you've asked him to do. Now, now you're getting a little bit more frustrated and you raise your voice more. And you're starting to feel a little angry in the inside because Johnny's not obeying you. And, and then this happens to, let me listen to me, this happens until Johnny knows where the line is. Because you've trained Johnny where the line is. You've told Johnny over and over again that when I'm ready to blow my top, that's when you better obey because that's when you might get your spanking or that's when you might get disciplined. And we train our children to be disobedient to us by our discipline, our lack of disciplining them, okay? Now, here, here's how training comes in. And, and again, it's too much to cover here today, but here's how, here's how it's supposed to work, guys. When your children are little, very little, just coming along. That's when you train your children to obey you from the very beginning. And so whatever you ask of them, and again, I, I think we probably asked twice. You know, I probably gave them a warning, you know. But at some point, it wasn't long if they did not obey. When they were little, they got the spanking spoon. And, and, and again, I, I realize that the spanking spoon, corporal punishment, again, is, is very, uh, very controversial. But there's a soft part right here on their leg. And you know, it doesn't take much. But you train that little child when he's one, two years old. No, I mean not one, two, three years old. You train that little child to obey you. And here's the deal. Listen to me. I'm, I'm telling you, I have a, Micah said I have moral authority to speak on what I'm speaking. And I think I do. I raised six of them. And so I can tell you this really works. If you will learn to train your children when, by discipline when they're little, then as they get older, they, they will know the principle of obedience. They will know the principle of submission to authority. And you will raise children who will be a delight to be around. Children that, that you will delight in because you've used discipline when they were little. Now, here's the deal. So often, we don't discipline our children when they're little, and then we want to come back and discipline them later when they're older. And man, it doesn't work. We've already trained them. And uh, so I, I think it should be like this. When our child is, is very young, corporal discipline, the spanking spoon, is up here. But as they get older, the corporal punishment comes down to a point then your discipline just needs to be maybe a word of correction. You know, by the time my children were, I, I don't know that I ever spanked a child after. I, I probably did spank my children after they were the 10, but it wasn't very often. It wasn't very often because I had trained them with discipline. And so I, I just tell you, here, here, this is so important. If you're going to train your child, it's got to be your life. It's got to be your instruction. And it's got to be you disciplining them, teaching them to submit to authority. And God says this is absolutely uh, imperative. And one of the things that affected my parenting more than anything else, uh, I, I would attribute it the thing that helped me the most, was when I took a class called Growing Kids God's Way. Um, it was Gary and what's her name? Anne Marie. Is that what you're saying, Anne Marie? Gary and Anne Marie Ezzo, you know, formed this thing called Growing Kids God's Way. 
And uh, I took that, and it really changed my parenting. I learned all kinds of things there. Let me just tell you one thing I learned in that class that affected me greatly was that I needed to tell my children the moral reason for the things that I would be asking of them or disciplining them for. And so, for instance, when my children were little and they were running through the church, and I would tell them to stop, you know, or they were going to be disciplined, you know, when I told them to stop, I also told them why. I didn't just say, stop running in the church. I said, stop running in the church because Miss Isabel is 90-some years old. And, you know, if you ran into Miss Isabel and knocked her down, you, you would probably break her hip or maybe her arm or something. So, son, daughter, don't run in the church because Miss Isabel might get hurt. So I gave them a moral reason for why I was asking them to do what I was asking them to do. I tell you, I think... That was, that was a major shift in my parenting. It wasn't just do this because I tell you so. It was do this and here's the reason why daddy wants you to do this. And, and we practice discipline. I've asked Ray and Jill to teach growing kids. I mean, she, they've, they've facilitated uh, that class for many, many times over many years. But I've asked them to do it again and Ray said they're willing to do it. So sometime in the, in the future uh, months, we're, we're going to offer growing kids God's way again. And I really would like to encourage you to, to take that class, young parents, if you never have. Um, you, there may be some of the stuff you're going to reject and say, nah, it's not for me. But I tell you what, there were so many things that I learned that helped me in my parenting. And there's quite a few of us in this church, older folks that took that class that were greatly affected by that in our parenting. And so if you uh, would like a personal testimony, come to me and I'll, I'll send you to some people who can talk to you about that. But, but Ray and Jill are going to be doing that sometime in the future. When that's being offered, I'd really encourage, it's going to be a commitment. Parents, it's going to be a commitment, but I want to encourage you to, uh, uh, to do that. So there are my two positive means for leading your children to Jesus, loving them and training them. And parents and grandparents, I, I just pray that the enemy, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. I, I, I say this only to, I say these things only to ask us to lean into them. To lean into them. And if we have not done it right, then, hey, we just say, hey, Lord, I didn't do that right. But help me to make it better in the future. Help me to change it as a granddaddy. You know, help me to help my children as a granddaddy. Let's pray. Father, take the words of my heart, these meditations of uh, the words of my mouth and these meditations of my heart, Lord. Would you take these and just use them? I believe I've spoken for you. And Lord, would you just take these things and encourage parents, encourage parents who are in the thick of little ones coming along, who are having to model and instruct and discipline. Uh, Lord, would you just teach them how to do these well, how to grow in these things, how to, how to become even more effective at them. Father, would you help them not to leave this morning discouraged or, or, or downhearted because of the past? But Lord, give them um, joy. Give them encouragement for the future that, Lord, we can change things and we can do things better. Lord, I pray for our children, all the children of our community, all the children of our church family. Lord, may we not lose any of them. May we not lose any of them, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.